Uh, well, good morning. I'm glad you guys are here this morning. Uh, my name is Nate. I'm the student ministries pastor here at the Crossing. Thank you. And uh, this past summer, I got to uh, teach a lot of you new phrases and new words that our middle school and high school students are using for you to be able to, you know, communicate to teenagers, and especially parents, to kind of give you some knowledge of how to talk to your teenager. Now, since that moment, I've had numerous students come up to me and just hate me that I taught you, the parents, those phrases, because you're using them all wrong and you're embarrassing them, which I think is really awesome and funny. So I'd like to teach you a new phrase just to add on to the embarrassment in your kid's life, and that's what your parents uh, would get to do. So have you all heard the phrase, the struggle is real? Who has used that phrase and maybe have used that on social media? I love that phrase. The struggle is real. Usually you use that phrase on first world problems, right? Something that other people don't deal with, but we here in Vegas that we might deal with. Like a, a struggle for me is when uh, on the iPhone, when somebody's texting you and that bubble comes up and it's up there forever, but then it just disappears and never texts. Has it ever happened to you? Like they're writing a novel here and never since, or then when they finally do, it's just the letter K. Like, come on, like you had way more to say than that. Or maybe for many of you, if you've ever had this moment, struggle is when you have to do stuff. Like you need to accomplish things in a day, but Netflix automatically plays the next episode and you have to sit there and watch. Yeah, right? That's a big struggle for me. Or maybe you've had this moment uh, where you're watching a movie with your family and that really inappropriate scene shows up and everyone just gets really awkward, right? That's a horrible moment. That's a really struggle. Or maybe for you, you needed to do something this weekend and maybe you had to buy more milk and you realize it's Black Friday and the traffic is horrible and all the grocery stores are packed out. Or you wanted to eat more turkey and you've already unbuckled your belt. Is that right? Anybody do that? And you go to the sweat pants, it just gets worse and worse as the Thanksgiving goes on. The struggle is real in some of our areas. And I believe the, the biggest struggle, especially we have now with the holiday season coming up, is just the busyness and the hurriedness of our day and of our week and all the things that we want to accomplish, all the things we want our kids to accomplish with homework and the recitals and all the things that we have to deal with, all the stresses, the struggle is real to keep up with all that and not for us to go over the edge and over our limit. And we say this, uh, my wife and I kid about this, when our family buys our kids Christmas toys, it feels like toys are all going to our house, but no toys ever leave our house. It just gets built up and built up. And that's what the holiday season, really, that's what begins to happen in our lives, that nothing really changes in our schedules and our worries, but things just get added on. And the struggle is real to handle all of that. And of course, when in our lives, living to the limit and living to the edge, it's really tough. But seeing other people do that, we kind of find it entertaining, especially like extreme sport athletes. There's this guy named Espen Fanis, and he's a wingsuit world champion where he just jumps off of mountains and plains and flies at like 100, 200 miles per hour. And of course, this is just insane. No one has ever do this. And it's really entertaining because he is going to the extreme of what he can physically do. Or there's this other guy, you've probably seen him before, Felix Baumgartner, where he jumps from outer space, breaks the sound barrier with his body going 800 plus miles per hour. And again, at the comfort of our home, it is just very entertaining. It's awesome. But we would never do it ourselves. And that's why we like reality shows, right? Because the emotions and the relationships are so intense. They're pushing it to the limit and they're spitting on each other and saying horrible things. And we're just laughing. Things are the best thing ever. And again, at the comfort of home, it is awesome. But when it comes to our real life, it's just not that entertaining, right? 
especially with student ministry, we see boys who are pushing our girls to the limit of what they want to do physically in a relationship. And there's guilt and there's shame. Or maybe for you and your house, there's just finances are tight and they're pushing it to the limit every single month. And so every day people walk home on eggshells because of the emotions and the intensity of your house. Or maybe you just know family members or friends who are just caught in really bad decisions, making unwise choices, relationship or addiction, and seeing them push themselves to limits of what they can handle is just not entertaining. And eventually when you do that, it will take you down. So the truth is for us is that we all have limits, right? We all have limits, emotional limits, physical limits, mental limits of what we can handle. For me, when I'm living at the limit or the edge for too long, my body will just shut down. Like I'll just get really, really sick. And that's what happens to me when I live at the limit or go over the limit. So the question is, if we know that we have limits, that means we want to keep ourselves away from the limit. That means we need to have more space. Wouldn't it nice if you have more space in life, right? More space in your schedule, more space emotionally or physically in your life. And the definition of space, it is the area between our current performance and our limits. And I don't care if you're a Christian and Christ follower forever or this is your first time of the crossing or you don't believe in who God is. We all want and need more space. And space is when you show up to a meeting or a presentation that you have to give 30 minutes early. Right, the space to be able to prepare mentally for what's about to happen. Or it's this space financially in your budget. So when the car breaks down, you have that money set aside because you've given yourself that space. And you give yourself space whenever tragedy hits or there's a, a conflict in a relationship. And so when you're living at the limit or the edge and something tragic happens, you just go right over it with depression, maybe overeating or not sleeping enough. And we need more space. And not only is it true just in our lives, but we see this in all areas of our lives too. Like for instance, on a piece of paper, you have the red lines on either side, right? If you read a book and words were from one edge to the other, it would just be really difficult to read that book. And I love what somebody said, that we need space in our lives and those margins so that God can put his thoughts in our lives. And I love that a lot. Or may we see this on the road as you're driving, you see the ridges of the bumps in the road, and it's a warning to let you know that there's an emergency lane, and then there's the guardrails, and there's the cliff, so that's really helpful to have those ridges as we drive, which we need to have ridges maybe in our lives to know when it's getting too close. Or for instance, in 2010, there was a, a game by Northwestern Illinois, and they're playing at Wrigley Field, and they attached a goalpost on the ivy wall but as you can see, the end zone to the wall is too close. And the referees, they said this, and this is really important. They said it was too dangerous to play. So they played the entire football game in the other direction. And that's true for our lives, I think, as well. That when we live to the limits, when we live at the edge, it's just too dangerous to live at that place, to live at that lifestyle far too long. And what happens when we have stress and when it sh or space and when it shrinks in our life, three things happen. One is that stress levels, it goes way up. For about three or four years ago, uh, for me, my left eye, when I get super stressed out for a long period of time, I would get a sty on my eye. And it's like white dot on my eyelid. And it basically looks like a pimple. And it's really embarrassing. And my wife could just tell what kind of day I had when I showed up in my house. She's like, whoa, you had a stressful day? I'm like, how did you know? Like your left eye is just huge. And that sty is massive. And that's what, how my body sort of reacted. Many of us, we have those moments when stress levels go up. And typically, our patients just go out the door. 
or especially with our kids, and we just kind of lose our minds on coworkers, our friends, and family. And that's what happens. When space shrinks, stress levels go up. And the next thing uh, is be, we become self-absorbed. When space shrinks in our lives, we become self-absorbed. Like, let's imagine if I spoke on the edge of this stage for the rest of the time, like my toes are over the stage. The whole time I'm speaking, all you'd be thinking about is don't fall off the stage, you idiot. Like, what are you doing on the stage? And instead of me thinking about what I'm saying to you next, and hopefully God does something in this room, I'll be thinking is don't fall off the stage. Like, don't fall off the stage. I become self-absorbed. And if you know somebody where you can just sense that space has shrunk in their life, you can tell by how much they say the word I. Like, man, I'm so stressed out. And you hear what they said to me? I can't believe they did that. Man, and this homework is killing my kids, and I have to study with them, and it's just horrible. It's all about you because space is shrinking in your life, which then typically leads to the last one, which is relationships suffer. And relationships that happens best in space. Because you have that space to text your friend who's going through a difficult time. You have the space in your calendar to go on date nights with your wife or hang out with friends that are really crucial to refresh you in the busyness and the hurriedness of your life. What happens to you when space shrinks in your life? Well, we're going to read what Jesus has to say about this very thing and how do we get more space. And he interacts with two very, very different people in the book of Luke in chapter 10. And it says uh, in verse 38, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home to him. Now let's pause there because the disciples and Jesus are making their way. When it says making their way, they're making their way to Jerusalem. And anytime you see that Jesus making his way to Jerusalem, you know he's making his way to his death and the cross and the climax of his life. And so space is now shrinking with time. It's now kind of shrinking probably emotionally in his life. So every moment is very intentional now in his life. But also he's going to limit He's going to the edge of what he can humanly take and what he can humanly do. And so he gets injured in this home. In verse 39, she, Martha, had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he had to say. Just, just listening to his words, how wonderful they are. And then verse 40, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Now imagine this, if you're cooking Thanksgiving meal and you're the only one doing it all. I mean, how exhausting and frustrating it is. And your kids and your husband and maybe a friend who's come over is just sitting there watching the football game. How angry and frustrating would that be, right? We all have those people in our life that you feel like you're doing all the work and they're not doing anything. And anytime that they are around you, space is shrinking in your life. You are impatient with them. So imagine the scene. Martha is cooking up this Thanksgiving meal for Jesus, of all people, right? And she is slaving away and Mary is just chilling, not doing anything. So what I would do is I would start coughing. <laughs> Mary! <laughs> and see around the corner if she like moves or budges. Mary doesn't move or budge. And then I would start just throwing stuff. I would start banging the pans. I would start throwing things on the ground, making a big scene so that Mary or Jesus, somebody, would recognize that I am in the kitchen doing things and no one else is doing anything. Well, all these things aren't working. And we see two different personalities here. Mary, who is living fully present, right? She's making space and create margin in her life to be able to sit and listen, enjoy the moment with Jesus. And then we have Martha and she's living fully distracted, See, Martha's this person, you might be like this, or married to somebody like this, where they make a to-do list of all the things in the week, and they start marking stuff off the to-do list, and then they have to make another to-do list because it's now you can get longer, and so you're making sure it's all freshened up. Maybe that's something that you do, but that's what something Martha does. She's living fully distracted. She is doing, 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 working, working, working. 
And as I first read this story, I thought, Martha, chill out. You know what I mean? Like, let's just hang out with Jesus for a little bit. Let's just relax. But then I realized I'm totally like Martha, and you probably are too. I start imagining myself as I work for Jesus and I do things for him and for his kingdom. And then when bad things happen, I'm like, are you serious? Like, I'm doing all these things for you. And this is happening. Like, this is what I get by doing all these things. And I know that you feel the same way. That you're doing all these things and you just want somebody to pay attention and to help and give you credit. And you would think that bad things shouldn't happen to you because of all things you are trying to pull off to do, do, do. And work, work, work. So we look at this story. She, Martha... I love this, came to Jesus, not Mary, but came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? I mean, tell her to come and help me out. You see this, right? The space is shrinking. She becomes self-absorbed, right? Stress levels are going up. Relationships are suffering, not just with her sister, but now Jesus getting mad at him. And I love his response. And I can totally picture this. Martha, 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 Martha. Come on. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. And Mary has chosen, I like this, chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. See, Mary understood that choosing what is better creates more space in our lives. Choosing what is better creates more space in our lives. So the question is, what is better? If that's the secret to creating more space and margin emotionally and physically and mentally in our lives, then how do we do that? Well, I think it's very crucial to understand this, to begin to do the important things first and not the urgent, right? Begin to do important things first and not the urgent. Now, for me as a father, I I get a very amazing responsibility that on any road trip, I'm in charge of packing the car, okay? Any other fathers that you're in charge of packing the car? Like, you do nothing else in the house, but somehow the car packing, that's your job. And so it's like Tetris. It's an amazing experience where you get all the luggage out, you get the dry cleaning, you know, clothes that can't be wrinkled and moved, and then you have the fan that only you have to have to sleep. You have the special pillow, you have the toys with the kids and the bikes and, and the skateboards, and you have this, like, medical kit for some reason, just in case something horrible happens. You bring the food, you have a all this out and what you typically do is you don't start with the skateboards first or the bikes or you know the pillow or the dry cleaning on the ground that'd be like a sin what you start with is right the big stuff right the big luggage make sure that's in there first put the dry cleaning on top and then you start shoving things on the side or on the top where it can fit and typically once it's all full and you close it and it actually works and it's all closed and if there's anything hanging out in the driveway you just realize you know what we probably don't need that anyway And once you get to the vacation or wherever you're going to, typically you didn't need that bike or you didn't need that skateboard. You didn't need the medical kit, right? Typically you do the important things first and not the urgent things. But this is how we do our schedule. Oh, we have a Tuesday night open. Let's do something there. Oh, Saturday morning's open. Let's just try to find something and go here. Oh, in two weekends we have nothing going on. Let's go to California and visit our family. Like what a horrible idea, right? Let's just be with each other. Let's spend time as a family. Let's do the important things that we never have gotten to this entire week. Let's do that instead of the urgent things. So what's important then? Well, number one is make time alone with God a priority, right? And I don't know how this works. I don't really fully understand it. But for me, when I allow God to enter into my thoughts in the beginning of my day before anything happens, I feel as though I am more aware and sensitive to his spirit and his leading in my life. 
that the times that I usually would say no to things, I have more courage to say, or say yes to things, I have the courage to say no to things. When I go in the convenience store and I want to buy a big thing of donuts and Mountain Dew, but I choose like the Gatorade or a granola bar, like those are wise, because I'm being sensitive to what he wants of me that day when there's a conversation that's really difficult to hear and I have to have in some ways, for some reason, when I spend time with him earlier that day, I'm more aware of the life that he wants me to lead. And it's very clear in the scripture, and, and it's very unique what happens in Matthew 6, that seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And I wonder what all these things mean for you. For me, all these things are just what I should spend my money on, all the worries I have, what should I wear, the future of what my kids are doing, and the interactions they have with other people. Like all those things that I worry about will be given to me as well when I seek his kingdom and the life that he wants me to live when I do that first, making that a priority. The second thing is uh, make important relationships a priority. Making the important relationships. For me, this is kind of in order of what I find a priority for my life is that I'm first a Christ follower. That's an important relationship for me is Jesus and God. If there's something missing or disconnected there, I know that everything around me in my life is going to be a little bit chaotic. And then the second thing, the second role that God has given me and maybe God has given some of you is to be a husband to my wife, Emily, who is just amazing. And for me, we have this responsibility to live this life together, this adventure together. And when something's disconnected between us, I know then that leads down to our parenting, which is a third role that I get to have, is to be that father to Reese and Aiden. He has given me these children, oh, oh gosh, that I have to raise up, right? And hopefully in the way that he wants me to raise with them. And what a great responsibility it is. And then I'm a coworker, and then I'm a, I'm a, I oversee a team, and then I'm a friend, or I'm a brother, or I'm a son. And all those things kind of, for me, interchange depending on the season of life. But we all have priorities. And unfortunately for me, about the nine years of my wife and I have been married, about six or seven of them, I've mixed up those, those priorities. Especially when my wife and I moved from Las Vegas back to our home in Kentucky. And when we got there in Kentucky, once this church, and it's an amazing church, and they do amazing things. But when I got there, staff members in our department, student ministry department, they left. There's like two or three of them that were just gone. So I began to overwork myself to make up for the roles that were missing on our team. And then in our ministry, I was changing a bunch of stuff. Like I had a parent meeting, and parent, a parent walked up and left our meeting because they were so upset about the changes. So I was really overwhelmed with that. I'm a people pleaser, so I would make sure everyone was happy. So I would go in at 7 a.m., and I would get home at 7 p.m. My kids would be going to sleep around 8 o'clock, so I had about an hour of time with them. And I would be so exhausted, so overwhelmed with all the things I had to do that my wife and I just weren't connecting. I became depressed. I gained a lot of weight. I was unhealthy. And then I would lose friendships because I wasn't texting them back. I wasn't calling them back. I wasn't making them a priority. I was emotionally and physically and mentally unavailable for the important people that God has placed in my life for a period of time, for like years and years at a time. So we, my wife and I began to do unhealthy things. We weren't connecting, we weren't talking about our lives, we weren't talking about what God was teaching us, we weren't talking about parenting and what we should do together. That this stuff was not happening. So God completely convicted me of, in this, of this. He led us back from Kentucky, back to Las Vegas where we were here before. And, and since then, I have passionately and forcefully made these important roles that God has given me a high priority. 
And so what I do, and maybe this is helpful for many of you, is that whatever your day look like at work or in friendships, whenever you go home, for me, my kids do not care about what happened at work. They don't care about the conversation I had or a decision I'm struggling with. They don't care about any of this stuff. They want me to be, me to be emotionally and physically available. And I have kids at four and three years old who still like hug my leg. I get the leg huggers, and that's a great season of life. And I know parents are like, yeah, wait till they're teenagers. They don't even pay attention to you. So I'm going to really absorb the leg hugging moment. So before I enter the door, I imagine what I need to be in these next few moments, all the way until bedtime, till the end night, and I drop all the stuff, the worries and the stresses and the conversations and my, the things I'm thinking about, I drop that out of the door. And I walk in, I have kids who say, Daddy, and they hug my leg, and I go down to Reese, my daughter, and I say, Reese, how's your day? And I kiss her, and she's, and she's a talker. She's like, no, 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 she talks and talks. She's like, this happened, they said this, we did this. I'm like, okay, great, that's awesome. Like, I shouldn't have asked, get away. No, I'm just kidding. I hug her, and I kiss her, and it's a special moment. And then I go to my son, and he's gone. Like, he already left, because he's jumping off the couches. He gets his sword, he tries to fight me with his sword, and I try to hold him and kiss him. He like, yuck, he, he wipes off my kisses, and we have this moment together, and I say, how was your day? He's like, whatever. <laughs> he keeps on running around. And then I go to my wife. I was like, how was your day? What, you know, what did you do today? And, and then after we have a conversation, and I say, what else can I do? Is there anything you need me to do tonight? Help with a dinner? Do you need a break because you're with the kids all day? Like, what can I do for the next few moments? And I am mentally and I am emotionally and I'm physically available. And I am making that a giant priority in our lives and in our families. So since I've been doing this, and all these things will be given to you as well, this year my wife and I have been able to run three half marathons together, which is just like never happened before. Like I would never run, and we got to do three of them together, yeah. And it's a really fun way to travel too. It's a fun way to get out of the city. It's a fun way to go with the family to like California and run this race and to be able to sight. It's a fun way of doing that. But also in the midst of that, I've lost weight, which is pretty miraculous. Uh, but also my wife and I, we have made our marriage a priority, which means that we took a whole week off to go to a marriage counseling, just her and I and this other person, and just sharing all of our dirt, sharing all of our thoughts and everything we've experienced the past few years. And that was a life-changing, a marriage-changing moment for us. It has shifted our minds and made us more aware of what God wants of us and us as parents as well. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Choosing what's better creates more space in our lives. So what I'd like to do in this next few moments, something a little different, is I want you to be able to have this, something practical for you every single day, even before your day begins, something on your phone. And I don't know if you're like me, but I have my alarm set on my phone, and so I click it off. And as soon as that happens, I immediately go to like social media and my emails, my calendar. I start worrying about all the things I have to do that day and all the stresses and all the anxiety just starts to pile up. I'm just in bed, and I'm already stressed out, right? So what I've been trying to do is make time and make space for God before any of that happens. Before I see any email, before I read any text, before I see any comment on Facebook or social media, I allow God to enter into my area, my space, and for the rest of the day, I invite him into the rest of my day. So what I'd like you to do is get your phones out. And on your phone, I'd like for you to, uh, who you normally would text somebody to, to type in 313131. And then on the text message area, to write the word present. And it's a reminder to live fully present. To allow God in your life, in those moments, in those conversations, when you're at the gas station, when you're at the cashier, with your, with your friend, when you're making a decision, you're being fully present to what God has in store for you. And what will happen is when you text this number, and when you uh, hopefully text present, you'll receive this image and receive a text message. 
I'd like for you to download this image and put it on your wallpaper on your phone. The very first thing, when you click your phone open, that's the first thing you see. And every single morning, before you do anything, for the rest of the month, all the way to the new year, that you create space and make time with God a priority. Make time with God with a priority. And hopefully, I believe, by making this a discipline in your life, that it will just be a game changer. It will change your relationships. It will change the decisions that you want to make. It all the worries and stress and anxieties. That it will just all be given over to God because you made that a priority. Now, what I'd like to do is just shift a little bit and to conclude our series, the Red Letter series. And I want to finish with one last Red Letter and hopefully take this with you all the way to the end of the year. And this last uh, red letter I'll read is, is from the last book of the Bible. And Jesus is talking to a specific church. And he is saying this to these people. I know all the things that you do, that you are neither hot nor cold, and I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Of course, a really intense you know, moment for Jesus to tell these church that you're being apathetic you're being lazy and all the things that you're doing like either be hot or cold don't be lukewarm and I know preachers they'll use the word hot and they'll say you need to be on fire for God be on fire for Jesus which is a really good thing for us to kind of capture in our lives in our in our souls and relationships but he doesn't say that hot is better than cold he says don't be lukewarm and I don't know if you've ever been hiking on a cold day like today or skiing and at the place you're staying at or around there, there's a hot tub and how amazing hot tubs are, right? And how therapeutic it is, therapeutic it is to your back and your, and your muscles of the day and the activity. Or if you've been on a hot day in Vegas and it's just unbelievable, overbearingly hot and you're sweating and then there's that ice cold Coke and how refreshing it is to your soul and in that moment of heat. And I think what Jesus is saying, I want you to either be hot and therapeutic to people around you are cold and refreshing, then all the things you have to worry about, all your hopes and dreams, and all the things that your kids are doing, that everywhere you go, choose to be hot and therapeutic or cold and refreshing, whether around a cashier or a waitress or a friend or a family or a coworker, that we begin to be intentional to be hot and therapeutic or cold and refreshing. I pray as we as a church begin to buy gifts or other people who don't have things for this time of year, or we buy gift cards, that they will see the crossing as a hot, healing, on fire for God place. Or that when we interact with our friends and maybe people who are going through difficult times and their space is shrinking in their life, they'll find us refreshing and be, just to be around. That way, may we be a direct reflection of God's refreshing grace and kindness to us. And, and may we catch his fire so that we can in turn put that to others in truth and in love. And may we seek his kingdom first so that we can live fully present, hot or cold, for today. Let me pray for all of us. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for just giving us the space just to hear from you, the space just to relax and put all of our worries and fears all the busyness and of our schedules, just take a moment to make decisions to choose what is better. And Lord, I pray that today, as we drive home back to our, wherever we are, that we have those conversations of saying, let's choose better this week. Let's choose better today. And Lord, you enter in our lives, that we seek you first and your righteousness and the promise that you make that all these things that we worry about will be given to us. I pray as we leave this place, we will be intentional to be on fire and hot for you. And we are intentional to be ice cold, refreshing to other people around us who desperately need us 
to be that for them. And we pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Thank you.